0: Welcome to Chapters of Motherhood. This is a weekly podcast about this hashtag mom life that is motherhood with all the struggles, chaos, and true blessings that come with the title mom. I am your host Veronica. At 17 years old, I became a mom for the first time. And at 41, I had a water birth for my fifth baby. The goal of this podcast is to share with you my motherhood experience and hopefully help you realize that you are not alone in your own mom life journey. Whether you're a stay-at-home mom, working mom, or a single mom, from potty training struggles, bedtime snuggles, and everything in between, the good, the bad, and the ugly, I share your frustrations and your joys. Every week is a different chapter of motherhood. Chapter 13, Mom to Schizophrenic. Welcome, everybody, to Chapters of Motherhood podcast. Today, I'm talking about my firstborn and only son, Adam. There's not a day that goes by that I don't think of him or a night that I don't pray for him. And whenever there are moments of fun, travel, or amusement, that I don't feel guilty about my joy. And when I'm with my daughters, I feel a huge hole, a puzzle piece missing to the joy of my motherhood. I don't talk much about Adam because it just breaks my heart. I'm Already haunted by the thoughts of what it used to be like or what it should be like. Adam made me into a mother, and since the age of 17, every decision that I've made for my life, I've had him in mind. So he had a big influence, both directly and indirectly, in the type of woman and mother that I am today. This is my motherhood journey of being a mom to a schizophrenic, starting at the beginning. I had him at age 17, and when I was pregnant with him, I thought, how am I going to be able to take care of a baby? That was the first time in my life that I told myself, if I don't know what to do, I'm going to learn how to do it and how to do it right. So at my first OB appointment, they gave me a welcome package that also included a Johnson & Johnson baby book about you know, pregnancy and the first 12 months of baby's life. And I read it cover to cover, and I followed the diet suggestions of what I should not be eating during pregnancy, and I only drank water. I avoided sugar, sweets, sodas, and candies, at least as much as possible as I could, being that I was still a teenager in high school, my senior year. So I ate as healthy as I could, and when Adam was born, I followed all the cultural traditions and superstitions that also included you don't take out the baby outside of the house until six weeks and you keep him away from crowds for 12 months. And I followed all the pediatrician recommendations. I did everything by the book for him. I even had another baby so that he can have a playmate. Like that was the reason why we had another baby. And at three and a half years old, he was diagnosed with ADHD. And at that point, I threw the book away because obviously, it didn't work. But, um, or that was my thoughts anyway. So at three and a half years old, being diagnosed ADHD was a little bit hard for me to deal with because as a baby, he was just a really calm, good baby. And then as soon as he turned 12 months, he got super hyper and you know, in constant motion running around all the time, um, he would have emotional outbursts, a lot of temper tantrums, and constant talking. He was such a chatterbox. But also he was like the sweetest kid. He was very gentle with babies and younger kids than him. He was just a a really gentle kid. And back then, ADD and ADHD was becoming very common. This was in the mid 90s. So it was becoming very common. There wasn't a lot of information out there for the general public for, you know, people to look up. This was, you know, before the internet, definitely before smartphones, And if you wanted to get information, you had to know what to look for. And, you know, I didn't know what to look for, so I just listened to all the doctor recommendations. And at that time, they recommended Retolin. And he was so young, he was only three and a half. And the doctor did admit that this was the youngest, one of the youngest ones that he had diagnosed. And it wasn't just one doctor, it wasn't just the pediatrician. He referred him to a neurologist first. The neurologist then referred him to a child psychiatrist, and all of them came up to the same conclusion that he was diagnosed with ADHD. And at the time, it was just, you know, pills that they were pushing. And my first ex-husband, Adam's dad, just did not want to give him medication so young. And so he did not consent to it. We started trying to give it to him and he was just, you know, very mopey and lethargic uh, from the medication. And so his dad panicked and just got the bottle of the pills and flushed them down the toilet and said, no way, we're not medicating him. He's fine. There's nothing to worry about. That's it. And because if one parent doesn't consent, then that's it. The treatment is off. They won't give him medication after that. So it was just something that we just needed to learn how to deal with on a day to day basis and he had all these all this energy to burn and he, you know, like I said, had a lot of temper tantrums, a lot of emotional outbursts. He had these like little weird tics where, you know, he was always scratching himself and even though there was nothing wrong with his skin, he didn't have a rash or anything. I would cut off all the tags off of his clothing, thinking that it was that, and he just always, you know, itched, always scratched, always um, started stuttering a bit when he was learning how to talk, Um, always in a rush, always in a rush to do something, running from room to room. And so because he had so much energy to burn, we decided to sign him up for sports. And so the first thing that we signed him up for was T-ball and, you know, baseball. And it was just too slow for him. He needed a lot of concentration to pay attention to the game and he just couldn't handle it. He didn't like it. He would run all over the field as soon as somebody would run. He would try to run with them. If he was out in the field, uh, he would chase after the ice cream vendor. Um, He would run off the field as soon as he would see like one of his grandmas or, you know, one of his relatives coming to the baseball game to watch. He would run away. So baseball was not his game. Uh, Same thing with football. Football, you know, again, a lot of concentration. He had to pay attention. And so football was also not his game. The older he got, we got him into soccer and basketball. Those were his games because he ran from court to court. (laughs) Whether or not he was doing anything or scoring, he was just running back and forth. Those were his sports. Once he got older, he really did like football, and he was actually really good at football, but I needed to have him in a sport to burn his energy. So skipping ahead, when he was about 12 years old, he usually got in trouble in school because of his inability to sit still, be quiet and pay attention. So a lot of teachers did work with him. They they understood he wasn't the only one. So they understood and they would try to work with him. But some teachers did not make allowances for him and they would lose their patience with him. So he would get in trouble a bit or a lot. But he was actually pretty smart. He would get A's and B's on his tests, But because he wouldn't do his homework, he would just get passing grades because, you know, your homework counts towards the total grade for the class. So that was it. He, it didn't matter if he would get A's on his test. If he didn't do his homework and he didn't study and he didn't show work, then that would take his grade down. So it was just passing. Because of that, I had decided that I was going to shadow him at school and, you know, try to get him to behave and try to get him to do better and maybe embarrass him a little bit to the point where he's like, "Okay, I don't want mom to come. But that backfired on me because it actually gave him a little bit more attention. All the boys followed us and all the girls were telling me, you know, all these little girls were telling me that they had crushes on him and they liked him. And how well mannered he was. And a lot of the teachers were nervous that I was just sitting there watching and listening. They did tell me, you know, oh, this is a good thing that you're doing this, you know, um, some parents do this, and the kids change their behavior. But um, not Adam. No, he thrived on that attention. And he would even get ahead of me and introduce me to the teacher like he'd be like, oh, hey, Mr. So-and-so, this is my mom and she's going to sit here and she's going to shadow me. Is that okay?" (laughs) And so um, I got mixed reviews. I got some teachers that said he needs more discipline and other teachers that said, oh, wow, he's so well mannered. So those were the differences. You know, some teachers made allowances for kids with ADHD. And some teachers just were annoyed with them. And during lunchtime, he's like, Oh, mom, why don't you sit here? Sit down right here. I'll go get you something to eat. You know, do you want something to drink? And he treated me like his little girlfriend. I'm like, you know what, I think um, this is enough for today. After lunch, you're going to have to just go through the rest of the classes on your own. I don't think this is working. You're actually getting more attention and you're liking it instead of hating it. So that was that. I never tried shadowing him again. So really all I did was just gain him more popularity. And he was already a popular kid, but he was a kind one. He didn't bully anybody and he wouldn't allow anybody to be bullied. He would always stand up for the kids that were getting bullied because he felt bad for them and he didn't like that. And so if his friends were involved in bullying somebody, he would tell them to stop and he would uh, gain more friends and more popularity that way. Because the shadowing failed, I had heard of a computer assistant management treatment that uh, was non-medicated and it was for ADHD kids. And basically what they did was they put these little sticky sensors on the head and on the fingers And this was to control the computer game with their concentration. I signed him up for that. It wasn't covered through the insurance. Thank goodness I was making, you know, really good money at the time. And it was right there in my area where I was living. And it was a new program. And because I had heard of this, this new program, I signed him up for three months. And honestly, it made a huge difference in his attention and his hyperness. And even a little bit on his emotional outbursts. A little bit, not a lot, but it did make a difference. At 14 years old, he was just everybody's friend. He was confident. All the girls had crushes on him. He would talk to me about everything, even the things that I didn't even want to hear about it, like, you know, things with girls. I'm like, oh, I don't want to hear that Adam. him. But he would talk to me about everything. And he was going into high school, and he was doing really good. But At this time, he was also having a hard time with my second ex-husband, and he started asking me to move out and live with his dad, and I said, no, you know, no, I didn't give up my whole life and do everything that I've done for you just so that you can walk away as you're starting high school, and so I said, no, I'm I'm not going to let you live with your dad, and you know, we'll work things out, and what happened instead was I left my second ex-husband for many reasons, but one of the major ones was because of Adam. It was after that I had left my ex-husband that I started to notice that Adam was beginning to show signs of depression. And I really think it was because we left in the middle of his freshman year. He had a new school and he had no friends. You know, he was in someone else's house. It was new rules. He didn't have his own room. And he had nothing to do all day because he had no friends. And I was always working, both day and night. And I just begged him, you know, Adam, please just give me three more months and we're going to be on our own. I promise you. But I decided to wait an extra three months just so that they can finish out their year and not have to start school again, you know, at the end of the year. Once we moved into our new place, everything got better. Everything seemed to have gotten better for him. He had his own room again. He made friends quickly in his new school and the new neighborhood. You know, he had more freedom, more responsibilities. And, you know, I really relied relied on him a lot during that time, you know, to run errands and keep the house clean, take care of his sister while I was working. And he was just doing really well. and, And we were just doing really well at that time. But six months later and a few weeks before his 16th birthday, everything changed. I realize now, in hindsight, that he was beginning to show signs of mental illness, but back then I didn't really notice it as anything more than, you know, maybe he needed attention um, because it was just so subtle. Okay, so even though I really like the flavor of peppermint in my CBD oil that I get from Friendly Family CBD, I know some people don't really like that taste and it's okay because we also offer gummies. These colorful little gummies allow you to enjoy the benefits of pure CBD hemp oil in a delicious and convenient way. Each gummy contains 20 milligrams of CBD hemp oil, helping to promote overall health. For more information, click on the website link in the show notes. Now back to our show. It started with him asking me or thinking that I was calling him. He started hearing voices and he kept thinking that I was calling him or talking to him. And he would come out of his room and run downstairs and be like, yeah, mom, yeah. And I'm like, what? And he's like, what? And I'm like, what? And he would be like, um, weren't you calling me? And I said, no, Adam, I wasn't calling you. And he's like, oh, that's weird. So then he'd go back to his room and then he'd come back and say, what? And I'd be like, what? What? And he's like, well, are you talking to me or not? And I said, no, Adam, maybe it's the TV. Maybe you're hearing the TV. And he's like, oh, okay. And so that kind of stuff started happening. And he would like come home from school and he'd be walking by and he's like, okay. And I'd be like, what? And he's like, didn't you just tell me to throw out the trash? And I said, well, no, but you do need to throw out the trash whenever you have time. Can you throw it out? And he's like, oh, okay. And so that was starting to happen for a little bit, for a little while, at, to the point where I got annoyed by him, and he would run down. He's like, "What? What are you calling me? What are you saying?" And I would get mad, and I'd be like, "Look, Adam, nobody is talking to you. We're watching TV. You know, maybe you're hearing somebody talking outside. Maybe you're hearing the television. Maybe you're hearing, you know, your iPod is on. Maybe I don't know. We're not talking to you." Honestly, I can still see the confused look on his face because he was genuinely confused. He would look at me like, you know, like if I was lying to him because he knows he heard me. And, you know, me and Leah would be sitting there like, no, we're not saying anything. We didn't call you. After that, I started noticing that he started using his iPod a lot and using, you know, the earbuds in his, on both ears and with the music loud. And I thought, oh, okay, normal teenage behavior, no big deal. Nothing to see here, right? because, you know, he would skateboard a lot. And you know, that, that's just what he did. And I didn't really notice anything different. But I would see him like look out of the corner of his eye and look at me to see if I was saying anything. And then he would just move on. On his 16th birthday, I decided that I was going to take him out to dinner. And I was waiting for him. And I guess he had met up with some friends. And he had called me and told me, you know, I'm going to meet up with my friends, you know, we're going to go skating. And then, you know, I'll be home at this time. And then we can go. And I thought, okay, you know, whatever, we'll sit here and wait. And I had invited one of my friends with me too. And so we were sitting there waiting and talking. And here comes in Adam. And he's like, oh, okay, um, I'm ready to go. I'm just going to get changed really quick. And he went upstairs. And my friend turned to me and said, oh my gosh, I think I smell weed. I think Adam smells a lot like weed. And I was like, is that what that is? And she's like, yeah. And I was like, that's weird. And he was super calm, like very calm. He wasn't like asking a bazillion questions the way he normally does. He wasn't like very hyper. He wasn't like, you know, anything. He was super calm. And we kind of looked at each other. And I was like, well, you know, I guess he was out with his friends. I don't know. So we just kind of stayed quiet. We didn't say anything. We went to dinner and he seemed very calm the whole day. And so later on, she was asking me, you know, are you gonna tell him anything? And I said, well, I don't know. He's calm. He's not asking me a bazillion questions. He's not like being hyper, not combative. You know, he's not being impulsive or compulsive. So if this is what it does to him, how could I have a problem with it? He seems pretty calm. I realized now he was self-medicating but you know at the time I thought it's calming him down and I had already heard a bunch of people talking about how you know it's a plant and it's medicinal purposes and it helps people and I thought well you know I don't know all I know is that he's calm and everything is good right now so for a couple of months everything seemed fine. And then one night, Leah was going to go with her godmother. I guess it was a special event. She was going to go for a night. And Adam said that he would be okay being home alone. So I decided that I'll drop off Leah with her godmother. I'll go to Big Bear with my boyfriend for the night. And Adam should be fine. And he called me. Adam called me later on that night and said, you know, are you going to be home soon? And I told him, well, no, you said that you would be good. So I'm not going to come home until I pick up Leah the next morning. And then he said to me, well, you know, I'm a little scared. And I said, well, scared about what? He said, I don't, I don't know. I'm just, I'm kind of scared. And so I told him, well, you know, lock the doors. You're going to be fine. You know, you're 16. I thought this is what you wanted. I thought you wanted to be home alone. You can watch whatever you want. You could, you know, listen to your music. You could do whatever you want. Just stay home. And so I told him, well, you know what, just keep Pookie with you for the night, our dog. And I said, you know, you can sleep with Pookie and she will give you company. And so that was that. So the next morning I got home, everything seemed fine. But I thought that, you know, maybe he's just not old enough to be home alone yet. So experiment failed. And so when I came home, he told me that he didn't want me to go to work that night. And he asked me if I could just stay home with them and, you know, buy some food and rent some movies. And I thought, you know what, that's fine. We can, you know, we can all stay in today and we can rent movies. And he decided that he wanted to rent a scary movie. And so we would watch our movies. And when his movie came on, he sat down really close to me. And I thought, you know, I kind of laughed. I'm like, Adam, why are you sitting so close to me? Why aren't you sitting in the corner like you usually do on the other side of the couch? And he said, this this movie's too scary. And I'm like, really? I don't think it's that scary. Leah doesn't even think it's that scary. She's watching it. And so that was that I didn't think anything of it. But later that week, he started thinking that I was talking to him again, or throwing my voice. And he asked me, Hey, how did you do that? And I thought, like, what do what? And he's like, how did you throw your voice like that? And I'm like, I, I didn't, I can't do that. And he thought that I was trying to trick him. And I would tell him like, No, Adam, I'm not trying to trick you. We're not doing anything to you. I'm not talking to you. I'm not calling you. I don't know what's going on with you. And so he was upset thinking that I was trying to trick him. And, you know, I was upset because I was like, what, what is this problem? I don't understand what's happening with him. Finally, on Mother's Day 2009, that's when everything changed. Adam and Leah were with their dad for the weekend. But because it was Mother's Day, he brought them home early. And I was going to take them to a family gathering. And when they came home, Adam seemed pretty upset and angry and just acting weird like there was a vacant look in his eye and no smile and his silence was just anger and you know I I just thought okay let's just get in the car and let's go and as we're driving I remember he was just mouthing off at me and I was like what is your problem like what's wrong with you and then he said well I got your message and I go what message he's like your voicemail message I'm like, what are you talking about? I didn't send you a voicemail message. And he's like, yes, you did, mom. I got your voicemail message and I'm really mad about it. I'm like, well, what did it say? And he said, it was, you didn't say anything. You were just having sex, but I know that it was you. And I was like, what is wrong with you? First of all, I would never. Second of all, I'm your mom. Why would you think that I would do that to you? And I told him, well, let me listen to the message. And he said, well, you can't because I deleted it already. And I go look at him. I would never do something like that. I don't know what's going on with you. But you know, you need to, I basically gave him a lecture, right? Told him, you, know, you better stop it. You better behave. We're going to a family function. Don't be acting weird. What's wrong with you? And you know, there I was just mouthing off at him and not really realizing what was happening. And I asked Leah, like, what happened? Why is he like this? Why is he acting like this? What happened over the weekend? She goes, nothing, nothing happened. I thought, okay, well, this is weird. And the whole time that we were there at this family function, I just kept looking at him and he just looked weird. He just wasn't him. The essence of him was gone. He had a vacant look. Um, He had his hair all messed up. Uh, He wasn't smiling and laughing like he usually does. He was, you know, sitting in the corner away from everybody, you know, or he was just acting weird. So I had had enough. When we came home, I called their dad, And I asked him, like, what happened this weekend? Adam came home acting really weird and angry. And he told me, I don't know. He proceeds to tell me this. He says, I don't know what was wrong with him. But all I know is that he came in this morning when we were still sleeping in our bed. And he started asking us if we knew whether or not AIDS was real. And that they, you know, were confused by him and his question and said, well, yeah, you know, the real disease is out there. And that Adams just sat down on the bed and started crying, you know, 16, started crying, crying, telling his dad, dad, I think I'm going crazy. And I told him, how could you not call me and tell me this? Like, why didn't you call me and tell me that this happened that this morning? And he said, well, I don't know. It just I just calmed him down. I told him, you know, he doesn't have to worry about diseases like that. And or, you know, whatever it was he was talking about, because he couldn't even clarify everything that he was saying. And he just told him that, you know, get ready. We're going to go to your mom's now. And he just brought him home and left him like that. And so I thought that was really weird. So the next morning, Monday morning, I thought this is weird. You know, I think maybe it's depression. I don't know what's happening, but I'm going to call and make him an appointment with a psychiatrist. And the first available wasn't until two weeks from then. So I called his dad to let him know that I made the appointment and again I asked him what happened something had to have happened that weekend and he said that the only thing that happened was that him and I guess the stepbrother his his girlfriend's son and Adam went on a bus to Venice Beach and from where they live it was, it was like an all day thing because it's, it wasn't very close like they didn't live close to Venice Beach. Well, anyway, they went on the bus and when they came back, the stepson told him, I'm not responsible for whatever Adam does or whatever he says. And till this day, I still don't know what that meant because they kept asking him like, well, what do you mean? What did he do? And he's like, I'm just not responsible. I'm just not responsible for him. And they couldn't get it out of him like, well, what happened? And he, he, to this day, I still don't know what he meant by that. So in waiting for our appointment in those two weeks, things just got worse and weird and things just got worse. He was angry, he was agitated, he kept mumbling to himself, um, crying, and just really acting really out of character. And one night I went to work and I got a call from Leah crying, just crying, crying saying that Adam started smoking weed in front of her. And that she told him, you know, not to and he got mad at her and threw the remote at her face and and hit her in the face. And when I tried to talk to him, he said, I really don't care what you got to say, what are you going to do about it anyway, and hung up on me. Well, I was fuming, I was so angry. When I got home, I got my belt and I whooped him. Like I whooped his ass. I had had enough. I didn't know what was going on with him, but he could not be doing that in front of Leah and and hitting her with a remote in her face. So I got my belt and I started, you know, whooping his ass and saying, like, what is wrong with you? You don't do these things like this is what I can do about it. Obviously, it was pretty bad, you know, for all of us involved. And at this point I just couldn't leave them alone while I was working anymore. And so I asked my mom, "Can you please stay with them?" You know, he's acting really weird. And then the next thing we know, my mom discovered that he started sleeping with knives and shard glass under his pillow during the time that she was staying with them so that I could work. She found it, and we took it away and we told him like, "What are you doing with this stuff?" And he said, "Well, I need to protect myself in case anybody does anything to me in my sleep." And I thought, okay, protect yourself from who? I'm the only one home. So at that point, he started thinking that I was doing something to him in his sleep. He thought that I was spitting in his food and his drinks. And so he was refusing to eat and he was refusing to drink if I was around. Then he started thinking that me and Leah were conspiring against him. Because we would get into really loud arguments and Aaliyah was really scared and she was afraid of it becoming violent, of him becoming violent with me. And so she would call her dad crying and begging him to come help because Adam was so out of control and he didn't do anything like her her dad just that he was like, I don't know what you guys are going through. So everything should be fine. Don't worry about it. And he would never come to her aid. So then she started calling the police because it was getting out of hand. While we were waiting those two weeks, it was just getting really out of hand. And Adam would be disappearing all hours of the night, wouldn't show up until the next morning, acting really weird. And so I thought, you know, I don't know what's going on. Maybe it's drugs. You know, it has to be drugs. Maybe it's depression. I don't know what's happening. But finally, we got to our appointment. The psychiatrist spoke to me, um, spoke to the dad, and mind you, during this time, I didn't let Adam go over because I wanted to make sure he was safe, so his dad didn't really experience what we were experiencing, and like I said, with Leah calling him, he just wasn't very concerned about it. So she interviewed us, you know, talking about You know, what's going on? What do they see? You know, what do we see? And he didn't really have much to add to the conversation other than the whole crying on the bed, asking about AIDS, and saying that he thinks he's going crazy. And I was saying everything else that I was experiencing. And so then she interviewed Adam without us there, without us present, just him alone. When she was done with him, she told me, You need to take him to the emergency room so that they can evaluate him to make sure that there's no tumors, no nothing medical going on. And hopefully they'll transfer him to a psychiatric ward. And I was pretty shocked. Like, is this really necessary? And she said, Yes, it's very necessary. He has lost touch with reality. So we took him into the emergency room and the neurologist was there. The ER doctors were there. They did all the tests that they needed to do. They did scans and x-rays and blood tests and everything that they could do to rule out anything medical going on. And then the social workers showed up and asked a few questions and said, Yep, we need to hold him for 5150 and we need to send him to a juvenile psychiatric hospital. And at the time they had him restrained to the bed you know, they had him tied down to the bed. And he was so confused. There was just such a vacant look in his eyes. And he he was just confused. He did not understand what was going on and why they were asking him so many questions and what was happening and why was he in trouble. And he would tell me, Mom, when can we go home? Can we go home yet? And I would tell him, No, we can't go home. We, we got to, you know, listen to the doctor. And he would say, Okay. And I mean, this was a 16-year-old acting like a one-year-old at this point. He was almost catatonic, not exactly because he was talking, he was moving, but he just was so confused, didn't know what was going on, following direction, not, not even questioning why he needed to follow direction, which was something so strange to me because he had ADHD. He was impulsive and he was, you know, hyper and he was just sitting there taking direction and it was different. To me, It was weird to me. So finally they did transfer him to a juvenile psychiatric hospital and they said that he was having an acute psychotic break and the doctor wanted to keep him for six weeks because it takes two weeks for the medication to work and four weeks for the program or the treatment program and, you know, to make adjustments in that time. And this wasn't going to be covered 100% by the insurance, which, you know, I don't care. I I didn't care about that, you know. And that meant that we were going to be responsible for, I think, like 10%. I don't really remember exactly if it was we were responsible for a full 10% or each one of us, dad and mom, responsible for 10%. Either way, it didn't matter. This was for our son's health. And I told his dad, whatever it takes, we need to get ahead of this now because when i was going to school for psychology this is bad i know that this is bad and we need to make sure you know i was honestly i was praying it was a drug problem because that would be a lot easier to deal with than a mental problem or a mental illness but it was a mental illness issue and because It did, because the insurance wasn't going to cover it 100% and we did need to pay, I think it was 10%. My first ex-husband, his dad just got upset because it was going to cost money. And he's like, I can't pay that and I can't do that. And we're not going to leave him in there. He doesn't need it. You don't know what you're doing. No one knows what they're talking about. He doesn't need any of this. And I would tell him like, this is for our son. Who gives a shit about how much money it's going to cost? Who cares? And behind my back, he went to go visit him and checked him out against doctor's recommendations against their wishes. He just took him out and put him on my front door and said, I checked him out. I'm like, what are you doing? Why did you do this? He needed another four weeks there. And you took him out after only two weeks. This isn't enough time. And he's like, no, 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 he doesn't need it. I'm not going to be paying. And that's it. I took him out. So at this point, what else can I do? I had to just start taking him to the psychiatrist on a weekly basis, and that took a lot of time off of work. At that time, his dad wasn't taking time off of work. I mean, every few appointments he would show up, but he wasn't coming to every appointment, and he didn't, he just didn't believe what was going on. He thought that I was exaggerating, which it's like, how am I going to manipulate several doctors to have him hospitalized? That doesn't even make sense. Something's going on. You got to stop being in denial and help your son. So anyways, he was on medication and then he had gotten it in his head that he was a tagger and he started like going out all hours of the night and starting to tag and, you know, skateboarding here and there. And he got in trouble with the police. They would bring him home. Is this your son? Yes. Well, he has a court date. Here's his ticket. You know, um, he's in trouble with the law now for tagging. So during that time was really, really rough on all of us, on on the three of us, because Adam was going through what he was going through. Um, I was trying to get ahead of it and trying to control it. And Leah was so young. I think at that time she was 11. No, she had to have been older. She was like 12. And she was dealing with a lot because she would call her daddy to see if he could save her from all this. And he never responded. Not once. Not one time in All the years that we were dealing with Adam, and he started getting violent with me, that she would call her dad, expecting him to come help. He never, not once, showed up. Not once called. Nothing. So, she started calling the police for help. She would end up calling the police while we were in a loud argument, escalating to a physical fight. And they would show up. I can't tell you. I don't know. I can't tell you how many times the police had to show up and try to calm the situation. And as soon as they would show up, he would calm down and he was afraid of the police. So he would calm down and would say, well, I don't know what's going on. I just want to do what I want to do. And they would calm him down and send him upstairs. And I would have to explain, you know, he's he's had um, a psychotic break. At the time, they had not giving him a diagnosis because he was so young, they did not want to label him so early. The only thing that they would call it was an acute psychosis and paranoia. So it was just getting out of hand. He started punching holes in the walls. He started um, tagging. He started doing all kinds of things that I just could not get a hold of, of him and his behavior. And I was pregnant at this point. I was now pregnant with Sophia and he was in and out of probation. And this was going to cost me my job. I had already gotten a job with Forest Lawn. I wasn't working nights anymore. I just couldn't with what was going on with Adam. And I was really worried, like, you know, because his dad would say, well, I'm working. Well, I'm working, too. And I have our daughter and I'm pregnant and I need way more support with him than what you're giving me. And because I had to move out of our place because I was pregnant, um, at that point, after years and years and years of him begging me, let me live with my dad, let me live with my dad. And then, you know, him saying, you don't know what you're doing. If he was with me, I could take better care of him. So I told him, you know what? Fine. You want him? Take him. I can't deal with this anymore. You know, I'm pregnant. I might lose my job o- over this. You know, I need to take care of Leah because Leah is also slipping into a depression. I got to get ahead of it. And so he decided he was going to take him. But after a couple of weeks, he brought him back. And I was like, no, this doesn't work. Like, I'm going to be moving out. I'm not going to be able to have a place for him. You need to take him. So a year after all this started, I did agree to let him live with his dad. And he did take him. Um, for a couple of months, he took him. And after a couple of months, he just brought him back to my doorstep. And I thought, you know what, that's fine. At that time, um, a few months later, right, so I was already moving into my brother's house. I had already had Sophia, and I was going to start working again. So I enrolled him in school into our district, and uh, let's start all over again. But it didn't work out because he was just on medication. He wasn't having counseling anymore anymore. It took weeks to try to get him in and he was going to school, but it was like continuation school and he just wasn't attending and he was failing. And we were having all the same old problems with him, you know, being really loud and trying to tag and trying to smoke and trying to do drugs and getting physical with me. And again, Leah was calling, you know, her dad and then calling the police. And then at one point, one of the police officers actually told me like, well, how are things with you? And I'm like, well, what do you mean? I'm having problems with my son because he has, you know, he he has paranoia and he has psychosis right now. And they said, well, do you have a boyfriend? Um, do you work out? Are you just bored? And that's why you're causing fights with your son? I was like, are you serious? <laughs> like, Are you serious? You think that I'm bored? I just had a baby. You think that I'm bored and I'm causing fights with him for a few years, but just because? So some police officers really do need to get educated on mental illness because it is such an epidemic right now and it's not because oh it's being diagnosed better no it something is going on that a lot of people a lot of young people in their 30s and 20s have all these mental illnesses but anyways that's neither here nor there what I'm trying to say is that there wasn't a lot of support during this time and When I finally did get the support, I took him to court and told the judge, I'm here for his probation because of tagging. And this is everything that he's doing. He's not going to school. He's staying out. He's doing drugs. He's, you know, um, acting up. I've called the police several times. He needs help. And I don't know what to do. He's already 17 and a half years old. And I don't know what to do. And look at my arms. They're full of bruises. And so the judge did decide that, you know, we're running out of time. He does need help before he turns 18. They're not going to be able to do anything for him after he turns 18. So she decided that she was going to put him in juvenile hall for violating probation. And then after juvenile hall, a few months, he was going to be transferred to a psychiatric hospital for another year to make sure that he gets all the psychiatric help he can get. And when that happened, he did a lot better. He was in a controlled environment. He was on medication for months, and he was getting counseling, all the counseling that he needed. On almost a daily basis, he was attending group, and he was attending individual. And I was visiting him as much as I could, and so was his dad. And This caused such a division because his family just did not understand what I was going through and they thought that I was either trying to get rid of him or trying to avoid my responsibility with him or making things up because he's a good kid. So I was just making things up but they didn't see and experience what we were going through what Leah and I were going through so they don't really understand what was happening. So when he was in that program and I was going in for the individual visits, um, I think it was once a week that I was doing it. And the doctor there wanted to try the experiment of finding out what happened first. Did psychosis begin because of drugs or did he start using drugs to calm the voices so he took him off of the medication to see what would happen and at that point they were still hesitant to diagnose him with schizophrenia because he was still so young but they did take him off the medication to see what would happen and all the voices started coming back all the delusions started coming back and the paranoia started coming back And the doctor said, that's it, you know, we don't know what came first, whether you started using weed to drown out the voices or you started hearing the voices after you started using weed. We don't know which is which, but I believe, I personally believe that he started hearing voices first and started self-medicating, but there's no way to prove it. So after that, the doctor concluded, you need to be on medication for the rest of your life. It's very possible that you are schizophrenic and we can't give you that diagnosis yet. We're just going to call it psychosis with paranoia. So when he came home from the psychiatric hospital, that's when first ex-husband, his dad decided, you know what, I'm going to take him and I'm going to take care of him and he's going to straighten up with me. He needs his dad. And I said, I agree. He needs his dad. And so he took him and he kept him for, I think it was something like two years, but he started going through the same thing, the exact same thing that I went through with him, you know, doing drugs, going out, not going to school, not going to his, um, not following the probation rules, not, you know, he just started going through the exact same thing and he started calling me and saying, Hey, um, I need to hospitalize him because he's not acting right and he's not taking his medication. And his daughter, he has a, a daughter with his girlfriend and so his daughter is very scared of him. And I totally understand. I totally get it. So he was in and out of hospitals since the age of 16. During that time, this was already in 2011, 2011, 2012. And he was in and out of hospitals. And like I said, his dad kept him for about two years and then just decided that he just couldn't, he couldn't handle it anymore. And he, again, dropped him off at my doorstep and said, I can't do it. And so, well, you know, what was I supposed to do? He's my son, right? So around 2012, I decided, okay, um, it's time for you to get a board care. Because we couldn't trust him being home with us, you know, especially since he had paranoia and thinking that I was trying to do something to him. He thought that, you know, the baby cried too much, which she didn't. The dog was always barking, which she wasn't. And, you know, my parents were elderly and he just had an obsession of living with his grandparents and, you know, trying to just do whatever he wants. And my my parents can't handle him. You know, I can't handle him and my parents definitely can't handle him. So I started looking into the services of boarding care and um, I was lucky to find a boarding care that was really good. It had wraparound services. So if he wanted to finish his um, GED, he could and help him find a job. They would do everything and they would help him. And um, he has SSI that would take care of everything for him. So when he was in the boarding care, everything was going well because they monitored his, monitored his medication as well, and they let him come and go as he pleased, but there were rules. You know, you had to be home by a certain time to eat your dinner, and you had to be home by a certain time to use your bed, and then you couldn't leave until after your medication and after breakfast, so they had their rules, and he was doing Pretty good for a few months there. And then I don't know what happened. He started fighting with his roommate. And I mean, physically, like fighting with his roommate. And they had to remove him because he was the one initiating and being violent. And so they removed him. And so he had to be sent to a different boarding care. And for, I would say, a year no, it was longer. I would say, like, two years, he was bouncing from one boarding care to another boarding care everywhere and being hospitalized as well. Because he was starting to get violent at one boarding care, he actually lit a fire in a trash can inside the facility. And so that's why they kicked him out of that. So he went in and out of, I would say, like a good seven in two years of boarding care. And then in 2016, He was in a hospital and according to the hospital, he told me that he was waiting for a new boarding care and then that the hospital told him, well, we can't find one for you so you can just leave. And the hospital tells me, no, we offered him a boarding care and he said he didn't want to, so we told him he could leave. So basically they just said, yeah, you can leave leave and live out on the streets if that's what you want. And to him, it sounded like freedom and he thought, then I'll leave. I won't have to take any medication because I don't need it, and I won't have to uh, listen to any rules. And at this point, they did give him the diagnosis of schizophrenia. Later on, they changed it to schizophrenia and bipolar, and now his um, most recent diagnosis is schizoaffective, which is basically it's, it's schizophrenia and bipolar and paranoia. That's basically what schizoaffective is. So ever since he was let go in 2016, he has decided that he wants to live on the streets. He wants to panhandle. He wants to just, you know, sleep at the park and ask for handouts, ask for water, ask for money, ask for food. And thank God there are kind people out there that actually do give him water and give him food and he doesn't want to um, get any help from any of us. He doesn't want his SSI. He doesn't want to live in a boarding care. He doesn't want to go to a hospital and um, he doesn't want anything to do with us anymore because he thinks that we are against him and we're trying to plot against him and trying to keep him from being happy. You know, me and his dad both. During this time, we had been filing missing persons reports and they would find him because we just couldn't believe that he just wanted to be out there living, you know, on the streets. And so we would file missing persons reports and the police would find him and they would report back to us like we found him. He's alive. He's in such and such place. He doesn't want anything to do with you or with the family. And he says he's happy. He doesn't want to go to the hospital. And so what else can we do? We, you know, he's an adult. We can't force him to do anything at this point, And neither can the police. You know, there used to be a time before my experience. I used to think with all the homeless people most of them are schizophrenic or have mental illness, the majority do. And I would think, where is the family? Why doesn't the family help their their loved ones like? And now that I've experienced this, that I'm living it, I understand it's like you can't help people that don't want to be helped. Now I understand and there's no room for judgment anymore because we've done everything that we could for Adam and he refuses. So during this time that he's been living out on the streets, he has gotten to the point where he gets scared of his illness and he goes into the hospital asking for help. So there has been times that it gets too much for him and he goes to the hospital. He's hospitalized for a few weeks to a month or whatever and then gets released. One time he was arrested. And when we found out, I immediately went to the jail to try to visit him. And he refused my visit. He did not want to see me. He refused my visit. He refused his dad's visit in jail. Who does that? He didn't even want money put on his books to to get chips or whatever it is that they do when they're in jail, but he didn't want it. And I was so scared and so worried for him because at that moment, they didn't have him in the psychiatric ward. They had him in general population. And so I was really worried for his safety and he refused my visit. And then they, they released him and I couldn't find him after that. I filed another missing persons report and they said, we found him. He's fine. He doesn't want to come home. Okay, what else can we do? Now, in December 2017, um, I got a call from a hospital and they told me that he walked into the hospital because he said to them that he wanted to kill his mother. And, and of course, that's me, right? <laughs> and um, they told me that they had to let me know. They called the police. They asked him, you know, do you have a plan to kill her? And he said, no, probably just strangle her with my hands. And they asked him, well, do you know what she looks like? And he said, I don't remember anymore. And they asked him, do you know where she lives? And he said, I don't know. And with that, because of his diagnosis and his mental illness and the fact that he's out of touch re- with reality, they decided at that point that he is a danger to society because he doesn't remember me. He said that he hadn't seen me in five years, which you know, was a lie, it was actually a year and a half. And because of all that, they decided he's a danger to society. He came into the hospital asking for help, so we're going to give him that help. They hospitalized him for um, I think it was three months. They had to let me know. They had to let the county of where I live know. They had to have it on report. And because I'm considered a victim of um violence, of potential violence, They need to inform me um, basically to stay away from him, and they need to inform me when he's being hospitalized and when he's being released. So sometime in May of last year, they transferred him from one hospital to another facility. It was a lockdown facility, and he was taking medication, and during that time, he was refusing everyone's visits, and I was told not to call because it would agitate him. And they wouldn't give me any information. So I relied on his dad to get some information and on his sister if they would give them information. And he refused to let anybody have any information on him. And so at that time, I thought, well, at least he's safe. At least he's having his medication. He's having help that he needs. He's eating. At least he's somewhere safe. And that's all I could think of. And he stayed in that facility for a year. And they recently released him. I got a call saying, we have to release your son. We need you to know that there was a threat against your life. He's not saying that he feels the same way, but that threat was there. And that's why he's been in this facilities for so long. But we need to let you know that we're letting him go. And it came at a time, it was right after my birthday, he had actually remembered my birthday, and out of nowhere, he called me on my birthday to wish me a happy birthday. And that was the first time that I had spoken to him in like three years. In three years, that was the first time that I had spoken to him when he called me to wish me a happy birthday this year. And then a week later, they called me to tell me, okay, he's being released, we need you to know, and you need to contact your county. The police department in your county, and your city, so that they can have the report and make sure that you're safe. And I thought, you know, where is he going to go? And he had an obsession of coming home to my parents. And I'm like, we can't, we can't let him because if he doesn't, if he's not taking his medication, it doesn't matter how great he sounds right now. If he's not taking his medication, he's not right. And we need to get him into a boarding care. And the facilitator told me that he is refusing any further help from boarding care or facilities and that was because when he first went in to the hospital he wasn't capable of making decisions for himself it was I mean it's obvious he's not capable of making any decisions for himself so they got him a conservator and a year later because he was doing so well in the facility the judge ruled against renewing conservatorship over him And so when that happened, no one can force him or make decisions for him for his betterment, even though he has no plan on what to like. Well, his plan is to live on the street and be a panhandler again. He wants to take money and food and water from people who were who would give it to him. And when I talked to him, and I told him, look, Adam, you can't go to your grandma and grandpa's house. Like they, they can't take you. They can't take care of you. You should go to a boarding care He was just so angry with me again. You know, it took three years for him to call me, and then in a week it all disappeared because I told him you can't go to your grandparents, and he became angry with me and just walked out of the facility. And that's it. I haven't heard from him since June twelfth, two thousand nineteen. I have not heard from him, and all I can do is hope and pray that he's okay. I'm still hoping and praying beyond reason that. He will someday surrender to his treatment and to his medication and actually live a full and normal life, you know, whatever normal means. But I I can't give up hope. I can't. And it's really, it's really hard because he's my firstborn and I had so many dreams for him. I had so many goals for him and he was just, he was just such a good kid. I mean, yeah, he was hyper, he had ADHD, he had emotional outbursts, but it seemed like he was getting a hang of it as he was getting older. It seemed like he was really starting to become his own person. And I don't know what happened that made him, I don't know if something happened or if it was just inevitable, because schizophrenia really does happen during the adolescent years, you know, anywhere between 12 years old to right around 20, 21, 22. I don't know if it has anything to do with, I mean, I do, I believe it has a lot to do with the ADHD. I don't know if it was just a coincidence. I, I don't know. I'm not sure. There's so many theories out there. You know, I'm confused and dizzy just by trying to learn about everything. But at this point, I really just hope that he will one day surrender to his treatment and be able to come back and realize that everything that I and his dad did was to try to help him and to try to raise him right. Like I said, all I can do now is just hope and pray that he will surrender to his treatment and that he will take his medication and he will accept the help that's out there because there's, there is help out there for him. There is no end to mom of a schizophrenic. This is an ongoing chapter of my life, and I wish it wasn't, to be honest. But that doesn't mean that I love my son any less. I love him so much. I don't talk about him because it hurts, but he's never out of my mind. Never. Hello, hey, it's mom, it's Adam. I'm trying to call you. Happy birthday. Um, not doing much, just still here at the the last home to call you to tell you happy birthday. I love you mom. Okay, bye. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. If you did, share it with a mom friend. And if you haven't yet, please subscribe to Chapters of Motherhood podcast. You can rate and review on Apple podcast. You can leave me a voicemail message on Anchor FM. Also, make sure to follow me on Instagram at Chapters of Motherhood or Twitter at mother podcaster thank you so much for listening i am your host veronica tune in each week to find your chapter of motherhood